everyone, this is Nishchil Dua, and welcome to the Remote Work Summit. On the panel now, we have Jeff Sutherland, the creator and in inventor of Scrum. Welcome to the summit, Jeff. Glad to be here. Jeff, I feel uh, you've had so much experience in the field, and especially with agile technologies uh, and where the world is going. There's a ton of value that you could uh, share with us today. So I would love to hear your thoughts on how uh, organizations can build uh, globally distributed teams. But uh, you know, over to you. Just give us a quick glimpse of uh, the Scrum uh, environment and what you think about remote work. Well, you know, in general, people always ask me, you know, where is Scrum working well? And if you look at the most valuable companies in the world, they're Amazon, Microsoft, and Apple. It depends on which day, which is the most valuable company, and they all have huge implementations of Scrum. Um, Apple is very secretive, but I've had a number of their people in my courses recently, and they say, you know, we do Scrum by the book, the red book that I published, Scrum the Art of Doing Twice the Work in Half the Time. They say, that's why we meet all our dates. <laughs> so getting Scrum working, like at Amazon with 3,300 Scrum teams delivering more than once every second, uh, is a huge competitive advantage. And so the companies that are going to be really doing well and who survive in the future, uh, are going to be knowing how to do this and when you grow large you have teams all over the world you're, so you're running a global company and you're running scrum teams everywhere so one of the interesting things about scrum uh, and fascinating to me is that it scales to thousands of teams and it scales across the planet you know uh, when, I, when we first started the number, the one team <laughs> we never would have imagined that it would do that <laughs> Uh, absolutely, I, I can relate to that, you know, and just like you said, so Scrum scales across teams and uh, the best part is there's, there's plenty of evidence out there because of that. So all the most valuable companies today are adopting one variation or the other of the Scrum methodology. But uh, is, is it only applicable to the technology field? Is it only relevant for software companies or is it being used by other traditional enterprises as well? Well, back in 2006, um I, when I started Scrum Inc., I was still uh, CTO of a company at the time. But one of my goals with Scrum Inc. was to move Scrum out of software. <clears throat> Back in the early days, Mike Beadle was one of the first uh, uh, people to implement Scrum throughout his entire company. Uh, and one day he commented to me that, you know, Jeff, you know, 90% of the Scrum business is, is not going to be in software. It's just a matter of time before everybody else figures out <laughs> this really works. And so since 2006, I've been, we've been moving Scrum into other companies. Most of our clients now uh, are, you know, they're in healthcare, they're oil companies, they're breweries, they're, they're automobile companies, they're, they're, they're companies that are building stuff or uh, even services companies. Uh, and software may be a part of what they're doing, uh, but it's not central to, to their business. Uh, another interesting aspect of this, though, is that software is becoming a piece of everything. You know, like so the VCs say, software is eating the world. And a, a good example of that is uh, one of our clients, Saab Technologies, that builds the Saab Gripen, the fighter aircraft, uh, that Aviation Week says is the best fighter aircraft in the world. They, it is totally scrum. And uh, when we talk to them, you, they, we say that, you know, these hardware guys, they say, you know, Scrum doesn't really work for them uh, because it's not software. And they laugh at us. They say, 
All hardware is software. Everything in the plane is a CAD drawing. That CAD drawing is fully integrated with the entire airplane in a simulator. It's all flown. We never build a single part until the software has flown successfully. They say all hardware is software. And they say companies that don't figure that out <laughs> are not going to survive in the long run. <laughs> I, I, I can't uh, disagree there at all. You know, I, I feel you because uh, no matter what you're doing in today's world, there's going to be a part of it that's being driven by software, that's being driven by technology. And uh, companies across the world, I mean, media companies, healthcare, uh, manufacturing, everyone has a certain uh, part of their uh, entity, a certain part of their teams that's dedicated exclusively towards technology and software. So even if it's not applicable uh, directly to certain themes, but it's definitely relevant for most of the companies out there. And we have a ton of uh, startups and we have a ton of enterprises who are attending this uh, summit as well. And I feel they should start adopting Scrum in their environment as well. Uh, right. I, I want to touch base upon uh, the remote work aspect of it. So there are plenty of distributed teams. There are plenty of virtual uh, teams and virtual distributed work being done. So how does Scrum uh, or Agile as a framework apply to distributed teams? Is it relevant? Is it helpful? What is the application over there? Well, <clears throat> back, back uh, over 10 years ago now, we published a study <clears throat> on a company that was uh, based in Utah and uh, do some work in Canada. Uh, and they needed to expand significantly. So they searched all over the world for people doing scrum like they were. Uh, they, <clears throat> the CTO visited a dozen companies in India, China, Russia, <clears throat> and they were looking for stable scrum teams because they knew to get really high performance. You can't have people swapping off teams. Uh, <clears throat> and in many organizations, the turnover rate is 30 to 50%. So that wouldn't work for them. So they found in Russia, in St. Petersburg, a company that was based on extreme programming and so they and very stable teams and <clears throat> uh, extreme programming grew up alongside of scrum the best scrums will do extreme programming inside and so they agreed to do scrum so they they doubled the number of teams in Russia uh, the other thing the CTO did is that he wanted every team to be half in the United States and Canada and half in st. Petersburg so the teams were all split. Uh, when we did a case study on that implementation, we found that <clears throat> the productivity per team more than doubled when they doubled the number of teams. And we published a paper on that. The academic reviewers said, this is the first time that anyone has ever shown it's possible to add more teams and productivity per team does not go down. You know, there's a law called Brooks Law uh, uh, that maybe you've heard of by Fred Brooks in the Mythical Man Month, where he says, if you add more people to a project, it just gets later because the communication overhead uh, uh, makes it harder and harder to get things done. So the productivity per person per team goes down as the project increased in size. And Scrum is the only way of working that, that has ever been able to crack that problem. And since then, we've had uh, a number of different published studies uh, where we've seen the same thing happening. So uh, more recently, <clears throat> I was asked by some of the Agile leadership at Intel to write down how to do this. And so I've done it in the Scrum at Scale guide. 
And we've, we're rolling out now Scrum at Scale across the world. Uh, we, have a license, uh, we have a Scrum at Scale trainer program. Uh, we have over 100 trainers uh, uh, in virtually most all major companies, uh, countries in the world now, training people how to do this, how to take Scrum, distribute it globally, and get <clears throat> linear scalability of teams. Right. Uh, so that, that's that's a pretty interesting case study because you know uh, I've I've heard of, I've read too much about uh, plenty of uh, information about the Brooks Law, and I understand how uh, adding more people to any project could definitely, most definitely, extend the project's timeline. It can uh, create more delays because, like you said, the communication overhead is just too much. So. Can you give us a couple of pointers on why Scrum worked in this particular scenario? Why uh, did adding more teams uh, actually improve productivity instead of uh, taking it down? So what are those core principles of Scrum that are uh, at work here? What are those core principles of Scrum that are helping these virtually distributed teams achieve higher productivity even as the scale? Well, what Fred Brooks described in the Mythical Man Month is that the number of communication paths between people is the number of people times the number of people minus one divided by two. So if you have five people, the, the channels are five times four over two, so there's 10. If you have 100 people, it's 100 times 99 over two, which is thousands. So if, if we have 100 people and break them down into teams of five, then there's only 20 teams. And so Scrum uses information hiding techniques so that you don't need to know the details of what's going on in a team. You just need to have a good interface between teams. So if you have 20 teams, 20 times 19 uh, over two, you reduce the number of communication paths by 80 or 90%. And it's that reduction in communication paths that overcomes Brooks Law. Got it. So it's, it's more to do with the number of interactions that are happening and making sure that teams have effective interfaces between them so that there's no end-to-end yeah. -end, uh, communication channels being uh, opened up. It, it's more relevant to exactly. let's say, a team leader or team manager. Sorry. And the teams need to be small. So that's another thing that people sometimes don't understand. Uh, the research on hundreds and hundreds of teams show that if a team of six takes one year to get something done, a team of 10 will take a year and a half. So if you have a team of 10, you're, you're not going to achieve linear scalability. You have to get it. Harvard spent 20 years doing research, figured out the optimal team size averages 4.6, four or five people. And uh, we found in our company, you know, we can go up to seven. By the time you get to seven, you start feeling the pain of slowdown. And then by the time you hit eight, we'll split. So that's another thing a lot of companies don't understand. Small teams is the key to scalability, particularly remote scalability. It's a pretty interesting metric. So four to five people is the right amount or the average amount of people that should be there in a team. Yeah. Uh, small teams lead to higher productivity. They also ensure that work gets done on time. There's enough communication and not too much or over communication happening. So right. smaller teams in every fashion is, is a better team, right? And in fact, I was listening to a, listening to a podcast recently on why, uh, why is Elon Musk so successful? He runs Tesla, he runs SpaceX, he runs other companies. And the, the venture capitalist on his board said he, he will not go to a meeting with more than five people. That's his key to success, right? <laughs> I, I've not heard about that, but that sounds pretty interesting. I'm going to go check on that. Sure. <laughs> five people in a meeting. Great. So, uh, you know, uh, if I'm talking more about a remote environment where a lot of teams are distributed and there's no 
uh, physical connection. There's no in-person meeting that's happening. Would Scrum, would Agile as a framework help people achieve uh, better communication there as well? Because uh, I'm not, I'm not uh, going into a meeting on a daily basis with my, with my colleagues, right? So uh, if I have a team that's distributed and it's probably working in different time zones, not always, uh, but sometimes for sure. So would Scrum have some sort of a framework in place to help these com uh, teams communicate effectively as well? Intra-team, inter-team, both those things. Well, <clears throat> we've written about a half a, uh, even more than half a dozen, maybe a dozen papers that are published in the IEEE Digital Library. And the important ones are also available on the Scrumic website, uh, showing that <clears throat> the secret to success in remote teams is making the remote teams feel co-located. Research shows that co-located teams get twice as much done as teams that are not co-located in the same building. So if they're on the other part of the world, you need to make them feel like they're in the same room. And the way to do that uh, is typically you set it up, uh, if you can, you bring the teams together so that they get to know one another, they can establish a pace. And then when you split, you make sure they can work the same remotely as they were able to do together. Now, we typically will have the daily meeting. So for example, the, in Utah, uh, early in the morning, it was late afternoon in Russia. So that's when they would have the daily meeting. Uh, in cases where you have extreme time differences, one of the papers we published was uh, India to San Francisco, which is 12 and a half hours. That's as, that's as far apart as you can get, uh, four, to, four or five times the productivity. They had to adjust the way they handle meetings. And that's, a, that's probably a long description of how they tune that particular domain. Uh, it's probably worth reading the paper, uh, which is on our Scrum Inc. website. Uh, but in every other study we've done, we've always been able to get some time overlap, a little bit of time overlap for the daily meeting. Right. So that feeling of being co-located and making sure that the daily meetings still happen, even if you have to find a time that overlaps between those different time zones, is, right. is one of the really healthy habits. And, uh, yeah. you know, you could always figure out a schedule for your stand-ups, whether it's a daily or, or different uh, frequency altogether. The other piece of it is the tooling needs to be the same. You know, some of the companies we work with, like a company in uh, the Netherlands, uh, Zebia has a subsidiary in India. Uh, it's quite easy for them because it's only about a four or five hour time difference. Uh, but if you go to their office in India, it looks exactly the same as the Netherlands. They have the same color walls, the same paintings on the wall, they, and all, all the tooling is, is identical. You feel like you're, you can't tell the difference when you're in India and, and Amsterdam. <laughs> so people, companies do things to really, and the other things they do is uh, a number of companies we do have open channels. So they have big TV screens. Uh, one of them, Pegasystems in, in Cambridge, where, where our offices are, uh, in every major conference room, they have big TV screens. They're always on. So you can walk in, you can see somebody walking down the hall. And uh, I remember I'm reading about one company yesterday. When you see somebody in India on the screen, the rule is you have to have say hi to that person. And <laughs> maybe have a little chat. So everybody's, you know, chatting all the time. 
if they're walking by the monitors. I like that. I like that as a strategy. So, you know, the, the experience, the culture, and like you said, the tooling is transferable. So whether you are in location one or location two, it feels like you're everywhere at the same time. And that yeah. open channel of communication where if you're just walking by a TV screen, you see someone on the other side of the world. Uh, I, I think that's a pretty interesting way to build that bridge to make sure that everyone feels more connected. Uh, even if there are multiple teams in different locations all over the world. So uh, in, in this in this entire scenario of uh, the coronavirus and a lot of organizations, a lot of teams are being uh, are having to take those extreme steps of working from home for the first time. So a lot of these teams, a lot of these organizations are not prepared to work remotely. They, they know how to do this uh, right in the office, but all of a sudden they have to be in this environment where they're not really prepared or trained for it. So any tips that you can offer them, any... Uh, strategies, any top-level blueprints, or strat- uh, you know, uh, getting started guide sort of thing uh, for these companies or these teams who are just starting to work from home all of a sudden and they're not really prepared or trained for it. So, what can help them with their transition? What can help them adopt this in a much easier fashion? Now, we just did a webinar yesterday uh, about this, and it's on the scrumming.com website. You might look at that uh, because I mean, in our company, everybody's on a Scrum team. And all of the teams are, are scattered or all over the country, and the people are ch- traveling all over the world. So virtually all our meetings are remote meetings. So we know how to do this. So as soon as the coronavirus started happening, we, we said to our clients, you know, we're coming in, we're doing coaching, we're booting up teams for you. We can do that just as well remotely. We'll get everybody on Zoom. We'll just do the same thing. We know how to do this. And we actually are now, uh, with some of our clients, actually, what we were doing co-located is now just all remote. It's just the same thing. And it's all about how do you build that, first of all, how do you build that knowing how to work one another with one another over video, okay? So one of the things is everything needs to be by video. We never use the phone. Because you have to be able to see the person that has a significant effect. You need to know what the, you need to know they're not, you know, texting on their cell phone or tapping on their keyboard. You need to see their eyes, you know, how they're feeling, all of that in order to have a connection. And then you need to set up the meetings and it, you know, people need to be more disciplined with the scrum. They can't, they can't be sloppy. They can't, you know, be late for meetings and they, they, they can't not participate. You have to get people really working in a good way to make remote teams effective. Being remote helps because you learn, okay, we have to have a little more discipline. The meetings need to start on time. They need to end on time. Everybody needs to participate. Uh, Everybody needs to listen to one another, respect one another. All the tooling we have works just as well remotely. Uh, My team uses Jira. Many of our teams use Pill Tracker. spent years using Rally. Every one of those teams, we're in a remote meeting. We can just pop up a screen share. We can see exactly what's going on on the Scrum. So we have to get all that work. You know, basically, people just need a little help in making sure the technology works, make sure they learn the etiquette of meeting on Zoom, how that works. I I remember we had a really funny, uh, in the early days of Scrum Inc., You know, sometimes a daily meeting, somebody talked too long in a daily meeting, it's harder to fix in Zoom. So people got these little bunny rabbits on a stick and they and it, and it, and it meant we're going down a rabbit hole. They'd hold up the bunny rabbit, you know, and <laughs> so then the whole team would get a big laugh and then they'd, you know, kind of resync. So there are little tricks that you learn in the world of Zoom that are, are really effective for remote meetings. And so you have to train people on how to work better in that way right so it all comes down to like you said it all comes down to being 
uh, disciplined uh, with your practices and making sure that you master video. Like everything has to happen over video. So if you can make Zoom work for your company, for your teams, you've done half the job, right? Show up yeah. to your meetings on time, be prepared for your meetings and uh, just be respectful and disciplined towards everyone else's time and agenda as well. So that that's right. pretty much uh, all it all it's going to take, right? If you go back to the Cersei Dynex project, uh, which was the first project that demonstrated you could scale across the globe without losing productivity, that was in a time when we didn't have things like Zoom, and they actually used the phone. So they they demonstrated it is possible to do it by phone. Uh, those Russians were really great developers and really focused. Most people will will not be able to do that by phone. So that's why we say everybody needs to be in Zoom or some other technology. Right, it's just making sure that it's comfortable for everyone and you're not putting too much pressure on everyone, right? To be at yeah. their level best, at their at 100%. So yeah. taking into account the human factor as well. So a thing that helps a lot if you just have a small team of four or five people, it really becomes more like a conversation around the water cooler. It's, it's not this big meeting. You get to be friends with the people and you feel good about them. You learn about, you know, a little bit about their life it makes things a lot more relaxing and it makes the teamwork a lot better smaller teams that's the key making sure that the right number of people are there in each team perfect uh jeff thank you so much for doing this uh, this was really insightful uh, if you're okay i would like to do a lightning round just a couple of quick questions yeah. and we would love sure. to get to know more about you yeah sure uh question one is there a role model that you can suggest to us to follow someone that you follow personally or just a reference that we can have uh one of the most interesting people to me was I was able to work a little bit with Linus Pauling, uh, the only person that ever won as an individual two Nobel Prize. And not only was he brilliant, but he thought completely differently. He said, you know, his, his view was the conventional way of thinking is not the way things were. You have to work, think totally differently. You know, people said he was crazy, but he, he was the smartest guy I have ever met. And his uh, way of thinking outside the box significantly affected me. And if, if I hadn't had people, if I hadn't worked with people like that, we would never have had Scrum because it was the same with Scrum. In the early days, people told me I was crazy. I remember I met with some, some venture capitalists for lunch as we're, you know, booting up the first Scrum team. And they said, Jeff, you're some kind of uh, San Francisco hippie flower child. This will never work. <laughs> <laughs> and then, then 10 years later, they're hiring me <laughs> to boot up Scrum in the venture capital firm. So, <laughs> you know, in the beginning, you have to have a, a, a different way of thinking to, to, you know, go to the cutting edge of technology. You know, Steve Jobs was like that as well. You know, he thought completely outside the box. And we're going to do di things differently. And, and some of his advertising with the pictures were great. Think different was, was the message. Think different. That is going to empower you as a person to break out of the box and do something great with your life. And we're going to, here's an Apple computer that can help you, right? <laughs> that was his message. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's what we are all doing today, right? So yeah, uh, right. if you want to do anything amazing, anything great, you have to push the boundaries. So I think that's the only rule that applies here. Keep pushing those boundaries, no matter how much someone tells you you're crazy. Quick second question. So uh, is, there, is there a favorite book or a resource you could point us at? Anything for us to read about? It could be a book, could be a website or a blog, something that 
you know, you think that we should really read? Well, obviously, I think everybody should read the book, Scrum, The Art of Doing Twice a Work in Half the Time. And we have a new book out, Field Book, which has all these case studies on scaled Scrum. These are really important for remote teams because all the scaled Scrum implementations we do are, we have remote teams. So, and for those, uh, <clears throat> for those who are more technically in the software domain, we published a new book on patterns. We spent 10 years writing this book on scrum patterns. Uh, there are particularly the patterns we use for high productive teams are embedded in that. a lot of good scrum literature that tells you how to, how to do what we're talking about. Just one last question. Uh, how, how do you start or end your day? Is there a routine? Is there a ritual of sorts? Uh, you know, because for a lot of us who are, especially those of us, those, those of us who are working in a virtual environment, it could get pretty difficult. So uh, is there a ritual to starting or ending your day? Do you have some sort of a routine of sorts? Well, one of the things that happened to me back in 1966, I was flying F-4 fighter aircraft over North Vietnam. And I got a, an opportunity to do some R&R in Australia. They said, you know, if you, you can spend a week in Sydney if you want, just to kind of get out of the stress of um, the work. And while I was in Australia, I started looking around for books to read and stuff like that. And I started reading about Tibetan Buddhism. And I became very interested in Buddhism and started a practice which continued today. This morning when I got up, I immediately go to my little space where I meditate. And <clears throat> without this, I can tell you Scrum would not exist. Because in many senses, uh, if you look at <clears throat> Buddhism and the noble truth, the first noble truth is that the world is full of duck. And in Scrum, the world is full of impediments. <laughs> the second noble truth is the reason we have so many impediments is that people are holding on, they're clinging to, you know, the way it is now, you know, they they won't let go, okay? That's why in Scrum, we have, you know, the daily meeting and the retrospective to talk about these impediments and how do we, how do we release them, let them go and try something different. And then the third noble truth is that there is a way out of this, okay? <laughs> and, and the way out is the Eightfold Path. Scrum is set up so that all those principles of the Eightfold Path are played out in the way the events and the structure is set up. So this is something that a lot of people haven't thought much about, but I was a scrum practitioner who is a Buddhist monk re recently asked me at the Scrum Alliance gathering, does scrum have anything to do with Buddhism? <laughs> and I told him what I've, I've just told you now. This daily practice that has gone on since 1966 has enabled me to think out of the box. I think this is what enabled Steve Jobs to think out of the box, you know. He went to India and he had his experience. The other thing about that is that the Bodhisattva way is that you have to help people. That you're constantly challenged with how can you actually help people uh, be better, live better, be happier. Thinking is, you know, embedded in the basics, in the base of Scrum. And uh, so all of us that have been doing this for many years and thought deeply about it, we're all about helping to make ourselves better, help, uh, help the people on the team be better, help the world be a better place to live so in. There's that thread that comes through Scrum, <clears throat> and it does because every morning uh, and, and, and often every night as well. That's really, really inspirational, Jeff. Uh, I, I can't tell you enough. But uh, first of all, so I didn't know uh, that you were in the war and you were a pilot. I've always wanted to be a pilot. So thank you for your service. And uh, I, I just feel, you know, 
so I've, I've tried dabbling uh, and exploring Buddhism myself a couple of years back, but I lost touch with it. And you just inspired me again to pick it up. So I'm probably <laughs> going to try it uh, you know, in the next couple of weeks for sure. I'm going to start yeah. trying something out. But uh, this was really inspirational. Thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. I enjoyed talking with you.